I think there are a lot of parents now who will report that what they're experiencing is being managed by their school um, and that the school has some kind of mission or agenda or, or a sense of, uh, of cultural values that they wish to instill and that people who don't fit into that or uh, are uncomfortable with what their children are being taught, um, yes, should be pushed to one side. And it does even go so far as to use accusations of harassment or to just try and silence people. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Claire Page, a concerned parent campaigning to increase transparency in schools. Claire took legal action after being denied access to the sex education content her daughter was taught. I kind of slightly despaired because I thought this is, this is a public service paid for by taxes and it's not even just me that has an interest in knowing what is taught here. Relationships and sex education is a, a really profound subject that affects our, our national mores about the way we conduct uh, you know, relations between men and women and we need to be able, uh, in, in any combination, and we need to be able to discuss that together as a nation. Clash has her concerns about progressive policy being pushed onto schools and parents by the government. Department for Education, I think, is running ahead of the country in its cultural outlook and is, has actually created an RSE policy that presses schools and therefore parents to move into their way of seeing things. Um, and I don't think it's universally uh, acceptable to the, uh, you know, the whole nation's parent body. I'm Lee Hall, this is British Thought Leaders. Claire Page, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you, glad to be here. You're a concerned parent who's undertaken a lot of research and also some legal action to bring transparency to the classroom. How did you get started on this mission? Mm, yes, actually it um, goes back to about 2017 or 2018 um, when my youngest daughter was still at primary school and there they actually they taught her that it had been discovered that there were many more than two genders and that she should refer to all people in history with the gender-neutral pronoun of they uh, because we don't know what gender pronoun they would prefer and we can't ask them today. Um, and I thought this was just very strange and not the right thing to be teaching nine and ten-year-olds. So I um, made a complaint to the school and was really surprised to find that uh, the head teacher and the governors together all said, well, actually, this is what we need to teach under the new coming 2019 RSE guidance, uh, which was not out yet, but this school was an early adopter of, the, of that uh, uh, policy. So um, that gave me this uh, sort of alarm bell that, hang on, if this is actually what the government is asking um, and uh, this is what the governors think should happen, then we've, something quite you know, serious is going to come from this across the nation, I think. Uh, so I just had that in mind and was, uh, was a bit concerned about it. Um, and then when I got to secondary school, my eldest was at secondary school in, uh, by 2020, um, and there she was taught sort of increasingly ideological lessons and very politicised, um, especially you know, the George Floyd death and the American election. At that point, there was a lot of uh, critical race theory, um, social justice ideology, teaching about white privilege teaching uh, almost a, an American curriculum in a, in a strange way um, and 
by the time we got to 2021, um, there was also gender theory added to that. And that's the moment actually that the RSE curriculum became uh, um, compulsory across all schools. And so that was now active in all schools. And sure enough, gender th theory really took off in the school. Um, so the, the school invited um, an external provider to deliver their, their RSE lesson. So that's relationships and sex education, I should say. Um, and uh, the particular subject was consent, uh, which we as parents could choose to withdraw our kids from, or we could send them to. And, and I sent my daughter to that thinking that was a perfectly good subject to learn about. Uh, for a teenager as she was then um, and uh, but she, when she came back she told me something very different to what I'd been told about the lesson would be. Right. So what was it? Well she she described a lesson where she was taught about I think trained in intersectionality told that we live in a heteronormative world and that this is a very bad thing um, and that she should be sex positive in her attitude to sexual relations um, which, uh, you know, sex positivity uh, is, is quite a, well, a very contentious theory. Um, and it's, this certainly didn't match what I'd been told she would be taught. So um, I, I made some inquiries to, of the school about this and found that I, they weren't really telling me the, the truth about what happened in that lesson. Right. And how did you feel as a parent to this idea that you're not being told the truth about what your child is being taught? Uh, yes, it creates a, a really huge unease. I mean, I think it's, it's uh, you can't sort of over, you know, over describe how upsetting that is actually, um, because you and your school have to work together in trust to look after a child. You know, the school has in loco parentis status, they are acting for you as a parent. Um, so for the sense that the information is withheld uh, just sets off huge alarm bells. Um, and uh, in, in this case, though, uh, it became clear that it wasn't actually the school that was withholding the information. It was the third-party provider who was refusing to give the school uh, access to their slides and resources that they'd used to, to teach my daughter when they visited. Um, so the school, I think, perhaps at first didn't want to declare what a difficult position it was in. Uh, but they certainly backed this provider and said, you can't have the resources. Um, and actually, later communications that were revealed through subject access request uh, showed that the school was trying quite hard to see the material itself, uh, which um, shows how unregulated that third sector uh, providers, these third sector providers are. So this third party provider, they, they were called the School of Sexuality and Education and you looked into them some more. What did you find? Yes. Um, well, I, you, you know, when, when you, something's being hidden, you sort of dig around a bit. And so I went online to have a, a look at their website. And on their website, the, the names of the teachers who will come into school uh, were, were uh, put on the website with links next to their faces. So very much the people that the children will recognize on the website um, as the trusted adult that has been you know, introduced to them. And these links were leading to their adult businesses. So that's, these are businesses that promoted sex toys, pornography, um, very graphic imagery from the absolute get-go uh, as soon as you press that link. Um, and that was actually, these kind of connections were from multiple parties in this company. Um, and so 
you know, this I presented to the school thinking, well, surely at this point, I think the school will probably want to side with the parent mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, perhaps make a formal complaint themselves that, that, you know, look into this and probably divulge that lesson plan to me, I hoped. Um, because actually that, I think at that point should have been more important than caring about the commercial secrecy of this company. But no, this, the school didn't want to do that. The school denied that they could uh, kind of provide that access um, and they backed the charity. So the school are refusing to show you what the lessons are that are being taught? Uh, uh, yes, I mean they, they showed me their own lessons and I think any state school would really have to do that. But yes, they wouldn't show the lessons that, they, that the outside provider uh, um, taught. Um, they, they did, um, at one point, the uh, CEO of the multi-academy trust wanted to, I think, solve that problem by showing me in secret this, these resources that she eventually got access to in a lesson, spontaneously showed a laptop and said, you can have a look at this if you want. But there were no terms under which I'm looking at this. I mean, I've been told, I had been told at this point, actually, uh, that I was a harasser for trying to see this material, um, for um, kind of, that I was, must be anti-LGBTQIA+, if I was against uh, this material. Um, and so uh, there were no terms on which I was being shown this secret copyright. And more importantly, if I just had a look at it, I could do nothing about it. I couldn't refer this plan to Ofsted. I couldn't have a stage three complaint, which is the, uh, the usual complaint process you have in a secondary school. Um, so uh, it was kind of meaningless. Um, and that's when I, I kind of realized, actually, this is, uh, this is a really serious problem here. You know, commercial uh, secrecy being enacted in schools was going to separate children and parents' experiences and was actually going to prevent proper um, complaint processes that can correct problems. So you wanted this, um, the subjects being discussed to be public and, and you took legal action to try and get the lesson made public, but that wasn't successful. What were the reasons? Yes, that is remarkable. You see, I, I made a freedom of information request um, and uh, thinking that that would hopefully force the school's hand um, and the school uh, again said, no, I won't show you, and then went to the ICO, so the Information Commissioner's Office, and the ICO backed the school and said they are entitled to keep it uh, secret um, because they've fundamentally prioritized the commercial interests of the third party provider over the public interest to see it. Um, I therefore took that to a tribunal court, first tier tribunal, and the judge agreed with the ICO. So that was just in June of this year that I lost that case, which is, I think, really remarkable because uh, that has set down the idea that commercial secrecy outweighs the public interest mm. to have access. Um, there is an important point in that, which is that the ICO and the judge of, of the court felt that because I could perhaps have had a little peek of this lesson once in a meeting, um, that would satisfy all my public interest needs. And so that being said, they could now protect the commercial interests. For me, this is a, a complete misreading of the situation because uh, looking at the lesson pretty much does nothing for me. I can't act on what I see. And it's being able to act as a parent that is our job to look after our children. If we want to act in law or in some formal complaint channel, 
you know, to refer material and just to talk to our fellow parents, our fellow citizens, about what is being taught in a state-funded school. Um, I have to be able to prove what I've seen and show other people. And so for me, open access is essential. Um, and I therefore will be making a uh, second appeal, hoping to overturn what, what has uh, just been found in, in the first tier tribunal. So they kind of wanted you to have this non-disclosure agreement, basically. You can look at some slides, but you, you can't even talk to anyone about it. That's right. And actually, the judge in the first tier tribunal even uh, wrote words to that effect, that she anticipated that some kind of secrecy agreement could be made by a parent who says that they won't show, you know, they might be given a password access and they won't show anyone else. Um, I, you know, I, at this point, I kind of slightly despaired because I thought this is... This is a public service paid for by taxes, and it's not even just me that has an interest in knowing what is taught here. Relationships and sex education is a, a really profound subject that affects our, our national mores about the way we conduct uh, you know, relations between men and women, and we need to be able, uh, in, in any combination, and we need to be able to discuss that together as a nation. We need to know what our, our government is funding, because very often some of these outside providers are funded by government to the academics who decide what RSE are funded by government. So if we can't see the end result of that and have it uh, really you know, poured over in the public space, um, we can't actually um, prevent our children from being indoctrinated, en masse actually. This must have taken a toll on, on your life and your family's life, because I mean, it's not your job to be doing all of this research, etc. Uh, yes, it really did, and I had to do a lot of learning very uh, quickly. Um, and yeah, it, it uh, took huge amounts of time, and ultimately it led to my daughter having to move school, because um, when your school has actually backed uh, another party to keep secrets from you, and, in, and actually backed them that I was a possibly a harasser in, uh, and, and uh, in some way prejudiced, uh, the relationship is broken down and you can't trust your child in, in that institution being there. So uh, we had to move her school. That was really disruptive for her. And in terms of just lost earnings and time and effort, uh, yeah, considerable amount has gone into it. It sounds like they're just kind of treating you as, as someone who's getting in the way of them doing what they want to do. Yes, I think there are a lot of parents now who will report that what they're experiencing is being managed by their school um, and that the school has some kind of mission or agenda or, or a sense of, uh, of cultural values that they wish to instill and that people who don't fit into that or uh, are uncomfortable with what their children are being taught, um, yes, should be pushed to one side. And it does even go so far as to use accusations of harassment or to just try and silence people. I remember being at school and if you did something wrong and your parents came in, your parents and your teachers had this alliance and, and would kind of, you know, tell you off, you'd be in trouble. But now it seems there's almost a flipping of this and they're trying to push the parents out and the alliances between the teachers and the children. Yes, that's an interesting thought. Um, I think, so firstly, I'd be very careful about saying all teachers and all parents and all schools that, that that's happening. But I think that is a trend, and I think it is occurring. Um, and I think there are some really, there are several reasons actually why that might be happening. Um, I, th I think one of them is that the government has really tried to instrumentalise schools, you know, education. They've they've tried to sort of 
uh, use it as a social engineering vehicle for cohesion, uh, for developing kind of progressive cultural mores. Um, and I think that uh, by doing that, teachers have developed a very different role. They're not just imparting education for the love of their subject anymore. And indeed, I think they've lost a lot of autonomy. Um, they're, they're focused on statistics um, and on certain skill sets, but not really education for education's sake. And I think that loss of purpose in the teaching body has driven teachers to quite a politicised stance. And I think they've looked for moral purpose in social justice training um, uh, instead of actually in the success of their, their subject. And I think there's something going wrong there. And I think that separates parents. You know, when there are two different value systems being used, uh, that, that separates parents from teachers. I think parents also have uh, a role, you know, in this. Um, you know, there is very, there's a lot of bad behavior in schools. And I think teachers are frustrated by that and don't quite know how to deal with that. You know, some teachers are, are treated very badly. Um, and we parents, and it, it might be excessive kind of, excessive liberal behavioral policies at home and at school, it might actually be, you know, neglect and it might be, you know, families who are struggling because things are hard. Um, but all of those things have brought about a lot of bad behavior in schools. And so I think teachers and parents have got a divide there, actually. And we should talk about that, I think, more. Um, the responsibility of a parent to make sure that your child is well behaved uh, so that there isn't that uh, separation between us and teachers as well. What kind of response have you had from other parents? Um, a huge response. Um, so to start with, um, my crowdfunder has been funded, uh, well, my, my legal case has been funded by crowdfunding um, and has sort of easily met its targets because there is a lot of sympathy out there, it seems, and a lot of people describing the same issues um, regarding uh, indoctrination, not education. And um, so, yeah, huge support. Lots of parents as well whose children are suffering from gender dysphoria who are particularly sensitive and concerned about this subject and it means a, you know, a great deal if their child is swayed in a particular way by their school and sometimes those parents are treated the worst of all actually because uh, when um, schools are particularly keen on promoting gender theory they you know, almost almost obsessionally sometimes, they will be prepared to sideline the parent, even to report them to social services if they don't feel that they are transitioning the child at, in the way the school specialists are believing they should be. So I think, uh, yeah, that, that group of parents I've heard a lot from, especially. What can concerned parents do? Um, I think that we should be using the formal complaint channels uh, that are available to us. Um, so all schools have to provide a formal complaint process and bring the governor, that can go all the way up to bringing the governors in to look at what the, the school executives have done. And uh, we should use that process because um, it's constructive actually. You know, if you use that and you write carefully and you, you uh, um, ask the right questions and ask to see resources which um, in most cases, you should be able to see immediately if it's made by the school. And if it's a third party provider, we do have some guidance that's been written by the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, in March. Uh, so have a look at that online and, and show your school this, this guidance, which is about transparency, um, and hopefully get to see resources and make complaints about them if you need to.
if, if parents want to remove their children from these lessons, do they actually have the power to do that? Yes, um, that's pretty complicated because what is taught is uh, in, in this area, there is sex education in biology. That's compulsory. Then there's relationships and sex education, which is uh, a separate area from the biology. And that's part of a sort of life skills and what they call PSHE, personal, social, health, economic education. Um, and in RSE, you can withdraw from the sex education part, but not the relationships education part. Right. So this is incredibly confusing to start with. And I'm really hoping the RSHE review, which is a, a review of this area of the curriculum, which is coming up, uh, will sort this out a bit because we can withdraw from some, not from others. The effect of that is that a lot of the controversial teaching is being pressed into the relationships education part that we can't withdraw from. Um, and, uh, but we do have the right to withdraw from at least just the sex education part. So the, the stuff that your daughter saw, does that come under the part you can withdraw from or you can't? Uh, Yes, that was actually a part I could withdraw from because consent is considered about sex education. Um, but, of course, if you're not told up front what the, the lesson's really about, if you're not shown the lesson, um, you know, people tend to just trust that their school is delivering something very moderate and universally acceptable. Um, so uh, you've got to be able to see things first to enact that right to withdraw. How did we get to this situation where this is happening? What do you think are the, the main drivers? Uh, yes, I think, um, I think there are lots of factors involved here. Um, there is, um, I think the DfE has played uh, uh, a big part in this, actually. The Department for Education, I think, is running ahead of the country in its cultural outlook and is, has actually created an RSE policy that presses schools and therefore parents to move into their way of seeing things. Um, and I don't think it's universally uh, acceptable to the, uh, you know, the whole nation's parent body. Um, I think there's also, there are forces outside of the country. So we've actually, RSE is actually designed really to come in line with what is called CSE. So that's Comprehensive Sexuality Education, which is a model designed by the UN, WHO, uh, very much on a, an American uh, model before that. Um, and also the EU, there's a, a particular European institute which is researching for this. Um, if you look at their, their documents, it's called the Comprehensive Sexuality Education Framework, um, you'll find highly contentious ideas. For, you know, it it, it uh, dictates, for example, that uh, gender ideology will be taught as fact. It talks about um, the sexuality of the child. And to some people, uh, they, and, and well, I, I am suspicious of it, let's say. The wording um, about um, creating a child-led uh, learning and uh, prioritizing children's rights, um, which starts to coincide actually with um, uh, sort of undermining the, the law of consent to some extent, um, because actually by giving children the right to sort of uh, make their own minds up about these things, um, about sexuality in particular, um, you start to actually kind of build the picture that they can consent or that it, they are the safe, their own safeguarders and, and so on. So this area is, is, um, is contentious. The research I find is, um, is uh, very unjustified um, or the conclusions of the research can be very unjustified. Um, and I think that our 
Department for Education and our, well, our government hasn't really seen the extent to which this is influencing our policy uh, in schools. How do you feel if uh, we do get a Labour government, do you think this issue will get any better or any worse? Or? Um, there's one way in which it might get better, which is that I think there's an element of this which is coming through the teaching unions who are frustrating a Tory government um, with some of this, and maybe they will be calmer under a Labour government, which I think is, I suspect is uh, the, the strong bias of the teaching profession. Um, but no, I, I, I don't hear in the, I mean, what I see from the current Conservative government is they are taking seriously the fact that uh, RSE seems to have been um, uh, badly instigated, that there seems to be problems. They're having an RSHE review and they understand that um, there is a, I think, a progressive bias and there is also a sort of a, a lack of regulation. And I think they're doing the right things by heading in that direction, perhaps not strongly enough, but they are heading in that direction. I don't think the Labour government is, is likely to do that. I think they will appreciate the progressive thrust of the RSE uh, um, uh, kind of project. Um, so I, I, I'm nervous about that. Um, MP Miriam Case described sex education provision as the Wild West. What uh, implementations would you like to see brought in at a kind of government level to deal with this problem? Yes, um, I, think, I think it is the Wild West in the sense that it's unregulated. And um, I mean, funnily enough, I don't think it's, un, it's the Wild West in the sense that I think there's actually a concerted political drive by international forces to, to slightly take over. Uh, um, and, but nevertheless, in terms of what can be done by government, um, I think they should be thinking about, first of all, really repatriating RSE. Uh, to their own decision-making. Um, so all of our policies in education should be decided by our elected education secretary um, and her cabinet, and not by um, her, um, her civil servants and not by uh, uh, somebody abroad either. So um, that, I think, should be being done. Uh, let's, let's look at what the education policy for our country should be. And then... Um, I think also the government has, I mean, they have to overhaul, I think, the RSE guidance document. Um, you know, it says things uh, such as teach all pupils about LGBT, mm. and then it just stops. I mean, this is a huge, uh, hugely broad instruction, um, and they've got to put parameters on what that means. Age appropriateness, which I know the RSHE um, uh, review will consider. But also they need to consider, and this is something that hasn't really been talked about, is what happens when something falls really below the standards of what a child should be exposed to? Not just age inappropriate, not just a bit early or a bit too much, but really potentially malevolent at times. You know, um, safeguarding is not being properly prioritised. So we need to reprioritise safeguarding against uh, equality politics, um, and uh, which has its place, but it shouldn't dominate safeguarding of children. If parents do want to find out more about this, are there any particularly good resources they can go to? Um, well, there are, uh, th there are lots of parent groups who are sort of writing about this, and uh, you know, groups such as Safe Schools Alliance, uh, Bayswater Parents Group, who are particularly giving advice if uh, you have children with gender dysphoria, um, uh, transgender trend um, and 
us for them is a, a, a parents group which was came out of that was thinking very much about the COVID uh, lockdown effects and, and what how schooling affected families in that way. So lots of parents groups online issuing advice and making calls to government, um, I think, to really depoliticise education. Claire Page, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you.